Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. I thank you for joining us. It's a holiday here in uh, in London where we where we tape this podcast. So I'm extremely grateful to the people who came in to join me, namely the people whose families don't like them, which is why they're here with us today. Uh, that would be Julian Lawrence and the former Crystal Palace, Ipswich Town, and Leicester City striker James Scowcroft, who's just regaled me with with an anecdote about how he escaped a horde of rabid Millwall fans. Um, so Scoey's unusual in that he's one of those professional footballers who actually enjoyed watching football and enjoyed paying to go to football matches. In other words, he's kind of like a normal human being. When he was playing for Palace, what does he do on his day off? He says, ooh, I know, I'll go watch Millwall because I enjoy watching football. Is that, is that no, right so not, far? It's, no, it's not the full story. I went to watch Millwall Leicester, my former team. While you were playing for Crystal Palace? Uh, I was out injured and Crystal Palace were um, away. So I had treatment on a Saturday morning. But, uh, this is a story. Um, went to watch Millwall. I knew quite a few of the Leicester backroom staff. Um, so I went to watch Millwall Leicester, which was in Division 1 at the time. Top of the table, clash. Um, big game, which Leicester won 1-0. They got promotion that season. Get to the interesting part. Uh, well, the interesting part came at half-time when I was in the toilet where a Millwall fan came up to me. And wait, wait, you were told me that you were in the stands. You don't even go to that special special box for, for players or other the courtesy box. You're in, like, you're in like so with I, the schlubs. No, I was in the main stand. And at half-time, a Millwall fan came up to me and just politely asked what I was doing there. Um, Did he use any foul language? Was he aggressive? Yeah, a little bit. I can't repeat that. Uh... And I thought, oh, gosh, how do problem. I get out of this situation? <laughs> was he bigger than you? No, he wasn't bigger, but there was but he four had loads of, of friends. There's four of them. This is what you won't, you know, in the press box and in the director's box, you won't see this. But I was washing my hands actually. And what are you doing here? Uh, I'm signing for you next week online. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, well, my Millwall this time. Waited a few. So basically, you lied to a bunch of Millwall fans. Yeah, there was a little bit of a rumor. Kenny Jacket was half interested at the time, but it never really quite come on. But. Okay, so anyway, if you're one of those Millwall fans who confronted <laughs> Scowcroft, who feel disappointed, please do get in touch with us and um, <laughs> maybe we can organize a reunion. Anyway, what a massive digression. Uh, later on, we're going to be looking ahead to the Champions League and this week's quarterfinals. But there's one place to start in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge. Julian, we thought there might be a race for the top four now that Spurs have beaten Chelsea 3-1. We don't have one anymore, do we? <laughs> That's over, I think. The only race would be for for third, I would think. Um, but I'm afraid for Chelsea, Arsenal, to a lesser degree, it's over. And in fairness, I think the top four right now, which would be the top four at the end of the season are the four best teams in the country, are the four best teams this season. So, so is there anything you're excited about other than relegation? Mm, not really. All right. Roll on the Champions League then. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll get to the far-reaching implications, but I want to ask you technically because Christian Eriksen, I thought, scored a tremendous goal. I know some people criticized uh, the goalkeeper, uh, Willie Caballero, who was in for the injured Courtois. I don't know, what struck me, and I, and I was there, I saw it in real time, was just how he seemed to hit the ball so hard, and it dipped so well. Can you just describe technically how you do that? Well, it's a new technique that's sort of come into to football, and a, a few people are 
sort of doing it now, where you, you actually strike the ball with the instep of your foot, um, which is very difficult. It's a very difficult skill. And it's, it's one that takes hours of practice on the, on the training ground. But people have always, from that distance, just you know put the laces through the ball and, and hope for the best. But you do get a lot more control of the ball if you're side footing. And if you can get the power... And the way you, you sort of come over and hit the top of the ball, you will get dip as well. Um, and Ericsson's a master. He's, he's done it before, so it's not a, a one-off, a fluke. Um, and if you get it right like he did yesterday, it looks very, very good. It's a superb bit of skill technique. It's like a tennis player hitting with top Yeah, spin, exactly. That, that's, you, you've given a better description than me. That's exactly what he's done from that range as well to get that kind of power. Um, takes a lot of strength in your in your in your leg really now Conte came out afterwards and said that actually they dominated the first half could have been 2-0 up uh, at halftime obviously Ericsson's goal kind of came out of nothing although you wonder you kind of know that this guy can shoot from distance maybe you should have shut him down a little bit sooner and then in the second half Chelsea had the urgency of needing to win the game and they get caught out by by that, that very good ball and, and really good run from uh, uh, from Dyer to Dele Alley. is it as simple as that or is he just making excuses, going? I think he's making excuses. If we look in the times this morning, there's a great aerial picture of the goal. Nobody's anywhere near Eric Dyer. And the the back three, it's almost a back four at the time, is so high up. It, it's almost, say, put it in there. You know, so it's a nice little run, but there's space to run in there. Someone's got to close Dyer down. Very, very similar to, um, to Ericsson's goal as well. We can say that's a good goal, but... A player of his ability to come in 25 yards from goal and nobody get anywhere near that, I think that's, as much as what it is, good play. It's poor play by Chelsea and I think that starts from the manager as well there where you, you have to, in a game like that, you have to play of a high tempo and shut good players down. I'll put my Conte hat on. Okay, that's nice for you, but I only have one Conte. The other guy I have out there is says Fabregas and in the second half of games, it's crazy to expect him to do that. So I'm better yeah, off having if, Dyer, if, if, leaving, if, let it, let's, let's let Dyer have it. Gab, How often is Dyer going to hit that ball? Gab, if you look at... And maybe if Caballero comes off his line or if Espiliqueta you know, comes across sooner, well, and maybe if Dele Alli doesn't kill the ball with a perfect touch, then maybe well, they don't there's, score. There's two counter-arguments against that. If he does find that much, you drop off. So you think to yourself, we're going to give ourselves five or six yards here. So if anyone does make a run, we've got time to adjust and, and clear the play. Also, the area the pitch is in, one of your centre forwards can close him down quite easily. I understand that the midfield, it's very hard for them to, you to push You one centre forward and it's more well, we'll get him to close the ball down then. What was he supposed to do? Close down Dyer, close down Vertonghen and close down Sanchez at the same time? Oh, no, go, go, go and close down Dyer, make him play it out so wide or, or play it back to... This is simple. I just think Fabregas can play in a game of this importance in a two with Conte. I mean, we've, we've talked about Pogba's positioning all season. Fabregas, for me, is impossible to play in that position. And Conte, on his own, can't compete, can't cope with Dyer and Dembele. And, and Fabregas can't defend. Fabregas can't run anymore in the way that a centre midfielder should run in a game like this. And you've got Bakayoko and Drinkwater. I'm not saying that Chelsea would have won with either of them. I'm just saying that they are naturally more defensively minded, especially Drinkwater, than Fabregas. And I don't understand why Fabregas started that game. Well, I think he started that game because they needed they needed to win, and because Bakayoko's not right physically, and maybe not right in the head, and yeah, which was dry. Actually, I drink water on the bench unused. I, I just don't. I know you have to win, but you you also can't lose it, and you can't get exposed the way they do on the on the the first Ali goal, for example, which is clearly because there's a point where Conte can't press everyone, and Fabregas didn't do any pressing at all. So the issue now, let's just talk a bit about what happens to, to the Chelsea manager. I think the, the generally accepted narrative right now is that writing is obviously more than on the wall. Um, but even before that, you know, for a long time, I think back in October, somebody wrote that, you know, either way, Conte is gone. You know, either he wins the league or the Champions League and says, all right, my work here is done or, or he doesn't and, and he gets moved on. He still has an FA Cup to play for, and he still says that, you know, he's clinging on to hope of, of finishing top four, but it will be very, very difficult. What do Chelsea do next? Because obviously the, the director of football, Michael Emanalo, departed during the holidays. Do you sign a director of football first? 
Is that link with? Do you have time to do that? Is that link with who you appoint as a manager? Well, can I would do, assuming can if you, you do have one before the other or two at the same time or the two or you sign a director of football who then helps you sign the right manager? That's what I would do. I mean, I, th I think there's certain basic rules here, right? You don't want to sign a director of football who's comes as a package with the manager. Yeah. Um, if you have a good director of football, he helps you make an informed choice in signing the manager. And then, of course, part of his job is acting as a buffer with Marina and whatever else. But, you know, that that's part of the job. I'm just wondering... I mean, we're in April now. Is it too late to bring in a director of football? Because if you drop in a director of football and a manager at the same time, you know, it's... And both are getting used to it. Does Marina want director of football? That's the thing. He looked for a long time that Menalo and Marina... Was that really working? And then if you... On top of that, you had a manager who wants his word into the whole... Well, it's recruitment. funny. It looked like that... Well, there were three in that marriage and it never really worked out. It's funny. People say, like, is it really working? And I go back to this. In the last 10 years, Chelsea won three league titles. They won a Champions League. They won a, um, they won a Europa League. They won various odd cups, domestic cups here in England. Um, they did it while respecting financial fair play and while changing managers. And it kind of always worked. Yeah, but Emiliano mean, was not there for the whole... 10 years when he was there how much did he really do and how much Marina Granovskaya did for example did Emenalo really had okay, any sort so of influence go, sorry so don't go don't, don't go 10 years go back to go back to 2011 yeah right okay so in what in 7 years they won 2 league titles uh, um, you know, a Champions League a Europa League and an array of cups I mean who's yeah. won more City yeah, that's you it your, sp your sporting director or director of football whatever you want to call it in the Menalo surely if you want another one you replace him quicker than than what happened this season no that's the part which I find really odd and maybe where where they really screwed up because I'm sure Michael Menalo didn't wake up one morning in fact I know he didn't wake up one morning in December and be like oh you know what I think I'm going to move to the south of France and you know and just better. leave <laughs> like I'm sure he gave them a fair amount of advance notice. Uh, he went to Monaco where there's Vadim Vasiliev, who, of course, is is tight with a proprietor at Chelsea. Mm -hmm. I, to me, it seems like this is a major dropping of the ball. Maybe there was they had another target who then, for whatever, as director of football, who then, for whatever reason, didn't pan out. If you don't have time to sign a director of football, if you go with a manager, the names that have been mentioned, um, it's funny because it's actually been pretty quiet, right? I don't know what names you guys have seen in the press but I've seen Luis Enrique I've seen Brendan Rogers Thomas Tuchel but it's funny though it's it's pretty indicative right so of those three let's leave Rogers to one side for a minute because obviously he was at the club before but man Luis Enrique and Thomas Tuchel without a buffer director of football I don't think that's a good idea I mean brilliant managers especially Tuchel but but do, do, do you know that the old director of football was in charge of signing the players, or it was higher up. It was Roman's Roman in charge of doing it. Yes, he, he I was. Know. I can tell you. Can you no, know? he was okay. not. Yeah, hey, he's he's he been said. very so, much. He's been very much disengaged in terms of putting in and giving advice and listening to agents who give him advice. He's not. It, it was Michael Aminala working with the work, working with the manager. Sometimes he's the first. It, you know. It's, it, it's, Scouting and and looking at players, etc. It's impossible for one person to do it. There must be Chelsea would have a very very good network of established people working in areas that I'm still is is, is still in place now. Is it just yeah, somebody that yeah, comes in? Well, well, exactly. So what I'm saying is, if that's all in place, if the infrastructure is all in place, do they really need someone to come in straight away? And oh my God, we can't survive without somebody at the at the top pulling the strings. Well, I think the director of football basically does two things right he he helps sign the players and identify the players figure out how they fit and look we're talking about identifying players right when you're at chelsea's level but or united's level you're not and everything and fit? the world being smaller now you, you don't need a guru to say the lad mbappe is good in france i've spotted this player blah, that's, blah, blah. that's precisely the point i was going to make right so it becomes more of how does this player fit Right, Chelsea aren't going to go be. They're not going to sign unknowns for the first team, exactly. right? But by the same token, you'd be surprised managers, even at that level. And I can probably share anecdotes off the air here, from Mourinho 
to Pochettino to Conte, they're all focused on their team. They don't. They have no idea what happens elsewhere. They know about the guys they play against, yeah. right? No, but they know. I totally get it. You know, so that's a big part of the role. Yeah. But the other big part, specifically at Chelsea, and it depends on the personality of the manager. If you have Carlo Ancelotti, it's less of an issue. If you have a guy like Luis Enrique uh, or Tuchel, you need a buffer between them and Marina. And that was a role that, that Michael Eminalo did. You don't necessarily want a direct line to the most powerful person at the club. It's not healthy. And I think, you know, and, and I think that's something to consider. And bear in mind, too, this is a different situation. I mean, Mourinho could do it on his own because he's personable when he wants to be and, and whatever else, and he's been a long time. Neither Luis Enrique nor Tuchel are that kind of person. Hypothetically, do we think it's going to be one of those three? Yes. Yes. Out of those three, who would be the worst possible choice? Brendan Rodgers, every day. Okay, I know you don't like Brendan. <laughs> I, I think Brendan Rodgers would be a good fit. I think he knows the league well, he knows the club well. I, I think that would be, probably knows the dynamics of the football club. I think Brendan Rodgers would be a good shout. I don't think so. Why don't you like Brendan Rodgers as Chelsea manager? Just, I don't know. He wants I'm him not, to go to Arsenal. I'm not impressed at all by what I've seen. I just don't think... Look at, the, look at the Celtic teams. They, they run away with the league every year. You would win the league as Celtic manager. <laughs> now this season, with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. And in addition to that, in addition to those videos, you get our excellent content, which I, for one, really value. Oh, and before I ask you what your favorite goal is, if you don't... All right, we've already discussed Ericsson. I'm assuming one of you guys will mention that. There's another obvious candidate for me, and I will ask about it personally if neither of you guys mentioned it. But, Scoey, who's your guy? Uh, I've actually given it to Deli Ali. Uh, his first goal, his run, his touch is fantastic. I actually think his second touch... Where he scores past camera is fantastic. The way he controls it there, the the composure. He's got a miller second to sort of react and everything. He gets everything right from the touch to right. Everything is is perfect. I think it's a fantastic goal. Deserves a lot of credit. He looks at the ball the whole time it leaves, so he he doesn't have any time to to look or actually realise where the goal is. So the timing of his second touch is fantastic. Julian. I thought long, far too long about this. I thought about Ashley Barnes' goal. That would have been my goal. For a big guy like him. Given we've talked the Ericsson yeah. one. reactive, just hooks it in Still, over his shoulder. Man. I went for the Gabriel Jesus goal for Man City against Everton. So City's second goal. Not for the finish because I don't think it's a good header. Not for the cross from the Bruyne because I think any player in the Premier League can make that cross. It's not a hard cross. The Leroy Sané's role in the goal because I think his touch is amazing. His, his control of the ball is amazing. The way he humiliates Phil Jagielka. I mean, I know Phil Jagielka gets humiliated a lot this season, but still, with that sombrero over him and then the pass to the Brunner, I think is amazing. There's 11 seconds between the pass from Edison on the goal kick to Gabriel Jesus' header, which I think is amazing. And for City's brilliance this season with the ball and all the possession, all the pattern of passes, all the style of football, for them to score a goal on transition like this in 11 seconds, in literally one, two, three passes, I think it's fantastic. Scobie's looking physically sick with your, your description of City, but um, by the way, I, I love Leroy. So I wish it was, I mean, I, he wouldn't be my player of the season because there's better candidates, but goodness me, like if you want to talk upside, upward arc, the guy's a mismatch. Everton and City, um, I know possession stats are, you know, people say, oh, what do they mean? And they tell you a little bit how the game went. When a visiting team gets 82.1% possession and they're 3-0 up at halftime, I think above all what it tells you is that nothing the home side are doing works, right? Because they've conceded three goals. And I, I'm not sure how you can give up so much of the ball at home. How is that possible? It's like a combination of being incapable of keeping the ball, of taking any kind of sting or momentum out of the opposition, and a serious difficulty as well in winning it back. Running after shadows, he looked in the first half especially, but also in the second half. And it, it looks like giving up as well. Like they gave up very quickly. I mean, playing when Rooney, you know how much 
I don't really like Sam Allardyce. <clears throat> Obviously. Yeah, How on earth do you think that you're playing at home against City? City who, by the way, haven't played for three weeks, went on a lads break in Dubai, so they will be as fresh as hell. And you think, yeah, when Rooney? Yeah, let's play him in a, you know, in a two in midfield with Morgan Schneiderlin because when Rooney is going to run after David Silva and Kevin okay. De Bruyne. I, I like Sam Allardyce a lot more than you do. I, yeah, I, I, know I give him, <laughs> you know. And I'm trying to wrap my head around what was he trying to do because, so you're playing with two very attacking fullbacks who, who don't do much defending and, and Leighton Baines and, and Seamus Coleman. Schneiderlin's you're holding, it's almost like he's like, I mean, I, I looked at this as, is he trying to mirror them? People this city as 4-3-3, I think of it more as a 4-1-4-1, right? Is he trying to kind of do the same thing where, you know, Rooney's impersonating De Bruyne and Dominic Calvert-Lewin is David Silva no, and... No. Co- I mean, I don't... I'll stop you right now. It was a two in midfield I, and he expected... But, what did he expect? What, what, was the, what was the thought? You're a United fan. You had Wayne Rooney posters up in your room when you were an adult um, <laughs> and playing against him. Um, does it hurt you to see him playing like this, playing first, in, the, in this position? First, it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't. I, I saw him in his last two seasons at Manchester United and it was painful to watch him. Possibly the, the best player I've seen live, but his legs are gone, you know, and it was clear. And, and I think he's had a bit of an Indian summer at Everton, which was always going to happen, but... You know, you're right to to play him against the quality of Man City in midfield. You just you're playing with ten men, also, and I, and I feel feel sorry for Rooney with that. I this is an attacking lineup he put out, though, right? So maybe he was trying to surprise them somehow. But if you're going to put an attacking lineup, you you need to. I saw Crystal Palace play Man City, and and I've I've only I've seen Liverpool do it. And I've seen Crystal Palace, and both of them have had success when they've done it. And that is squeeze up the pitch when the. Edison, the goalkeeper, gets it. Everybody gets a man. They squeeze down everything. And Crystal Palace should have beat them. Sorry, sorry, you say squeeze up the pitch, right? This is my problem with squeezing up the pitch. And I go back to Leroy Sané. When you have Sané and Sterling, who can just outrun everything, and you have Edison, who can just boot it wherever he wants, it's really difficult to do. No, no, no. no. Jesus' goal is that. They squeeze it on that goal. So my argument would be... Sign Usain Bolt and put him at the back. No, squeeze up the pitch. Man for man, we're going to press down on every single player. Who's gonna put Who's gonna put Sane in and Serling in? Who's gonna play the ball in? Well, you can you can you can press as much as you want, but all it who, takes who, is a man. Answer the question: Who is gonna get the ball to play these players in? The worst thing you can do is is let them have the first pass and then press because what you'll do you'll leave spaces where you, where you've vacated. But if you go down and you say right, here's my man, 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 go and stand on his toes and see how good he is you in possession. I, then I, I don't even. I mean, the way I, I saw Crystal Palace a few weeks Crystal Palace miles. They should have won, and it, well, I thought Royalson was excellent the way he, he set up against Man City. Liverpool have done it as well. If you go and you push right down on it, all of a sudden life becomes a lot harder for these players. And they also find space and they get out of the high press. But easily. you have to be you have to be a pressing team to do that, which Everton don't have yeah, the players exactly, to do exactly. that. That's a very good point. That's exactly what you have to do. But listen, you haven't done that, and you're three 0 down at half time, so it hasn't worked. What you've done. I mean, Julian, you're you're a neutral here. Do you think that neutrals are going to say, you know what, we don't want City just to turn the rest of the league into into a procession? Do you think this is actually one situation where all the ABUs actually turn into United fans for one weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people will say, oh, we don't want like a Liga with PSG dominating and we don't want a Juve, Serie A, blah, blah, blah. It's not good for the it Premier happens, League. It actually, and as competitive as what the Premier League is, it almost happens every year where one team runs away isn't it it's not many times no, where it's a no neck and neck like this no, no, maybe not but, but Chelsea strolled it last year Strolled even it. Leicester to a certain point won it by did they win it by 10 points in the end yeah but that's because yeah, it was but, Spurs but, but also it was never and it's they never dominated the whole season like this you know with like one no. defeat and okay, so yeah so I mean so, so the consensus seems to be that everybody all the ABUs Will be. Uh, you love those hipsters a... who say like City played like no one has ever played before in this league, and you know it's amazing, yeah. and they're gonna break the. I have a feeling we're gonna have that debate down, next but... week, and people will get angry. How can you say they're the greatest team ever? Yeah, whatever. Um, Sam Allardyce, would you sack him at the end of the season? Um, it's a difficult one, isn't it, for for Everton? Why? Like Why? <laughs> what, what's making it difficult? Tell me. I see what's making it difficult. Right? There's only so many times, Julian, you can throw the dice. If you understand what I'm saying, is there's only so many times you think, right, 
We've gone out and spent 150, 200 million, however much they've spent, not got it right. They've then had to get Allardyce in to, to correct it and, and make sure they're stable. There's only so many times you can do that before you actually have to hold your hands up and you become a Mike Ashley at Everton and think, we've run out of money. You can't, you can't keep saying, right, we'll bring a new manager in, we'll bring... Uh, silver in from, from Watford yeah is another 150 million going to spend is well, s- well, here's the thing why do you have to then spend another 150 yeah. million it's not like that's going to be Allardyce so you, you think someone with this squad of players is going to totally transform them and they're no, going to this is what gets uh, me and I've made this point before right you go to Marco Silva or Eddie Howe or Sean Dyche and you say listen we have this group of players here okay some of them were bought by Koeman some of them were bought by Walsh some of them were bought by Allardyce we think that this is the seventh best squad in the Premier League, okay? Now, we're pretty confident that if we keep Big Sam, we'll finish seventh or eighth because that's the value of the squad. Are you, do you believe you're a better manager? Can you do a better job with this group of players? And maybe we can sign one or two guys, okay? But that has to be the starting point. It can't be like, oh, look, you're coming in here. Oh, let's let, let, let's go and spend another $200 million. I mean, it doesn't make any so, sense. So what you're saying is you think another manager can come in and get an extra 10 points a season, 15 points a season? If I don't, but if, if a manager doesn't convince me that he can do that, then I keep Allardyce. It's, I think it's well, a... Exactly, it's that, common, that's, that's they're, they're, they're more... Clo- yeah, I know, but I'm pretty sure that Marco Silva could believes that he could get an extra 10 points if he has a full season working with these people. I'm pretty sure Eddie Howe probably believes that too. We can debate whether he's right or wrong. I mean, if you went to Sean Dyche and you said, look, can you do a better job with these players than Big Sam has done? What do you think Sean Dyche is going to say? No, actually, I'm not going to Big Sam. Now, come on. Everton, as we sit today, are ninth in the table. I think their squad is around about a mid-table squad. But the point has to be, we can't just go into this this, this thing for granted we'll change managers, spend money. No, but... Yeah, the, the game has but moved on from that. That's not how it works anymore. Really? No, but it works like that with, with crappy, badly run clubs. Wow. With, with bad owners and shifty managers who, who go in and, and think that they can finagle more money. You're a manager. Manage. Right? I mean... I... Everton are ninth. I think Allardyce has had some terrible games, terrible mistakes. His communication has been dreadful. I, I think, and I know a few Everton season ticket holders, they don't want him there. Most of the fans don't want him there. You know, he... He keeps finding excuses, silly lines like, oh, I'm going to watch television tonight. It's going to be better than what I've seen. To- uh, like, it was, I just think the whole thing has been a car crash. And okay, they're ninth. And they're better than when he took them over. But I think, I don't think that was hard with, again, with the squad. They, they were never going to go down anyway. I don't know. I think the football has been dire for most of his time at the club this season. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at 
thetimes.co.uk. And as we tape this, we have some breaking news, thanks to our producer, uh, Charlie. Um, Alan Pardew is no longer the West Brom manager. I mean, frankly, I'm shocked after well done. 17 well games done. and well defeats uh, in a row. Well so <laughs> basically, these guys at West Brom, they've sacked the chief executive, the chairman, and now the manager. Obviously, they're going to go down. They're going to rebuild. We have reports that an old mate of yours, Darren Moore, is now the West Brom manager. Do you have any idea what he's like as a manager, if he's ever managed before? Or do you want to just tell us what he was, how much fun it was to play against him? Uh, he was horrible to play against Gab. A real wholehearted guy, strong as an ox. Really nice lad, actually. Um, pleased for him. He's been around the coaching scene for a while, done all his coaching stuff. So deserves a chance, and he's got six games in the Premier League to, to get good experience under his belt. I think they could do a lot worse than, than probably follow on with him into the uh, into the championship next year. So, Do you we know, know anything about the way he wants to play? Or? No, and I don't think he will be totally um, decided yet. I, I, I think he's a, he's a good footballing person that knows the game very, very well. Knows West Brom very well as well, so it's, it's a sensible choice. Possibly the club should have done it a while ago to maybe give someone a fighting chance, but it's it's over for them now. Postmortem on, on, on Pardew. Don't come to me on that, because I'll slaughter him forever. Next Everton manager. Who? Uh, we, we've talked about it on the pod before. There's no way Alan Pardew is good enough anymore for a Premier League club. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know the guy. I've got nothing against him. I'm just talking on what I see on the pitch. He's won like, what, seven games out of 62 of his last 62 in the Premier League. I think he's just... It's, that's just not good enough. First, how he was appointed in the first place at West Brom is beyond me. How he stayed so long after being so bad at West Brom is beyond one me. One game out of 18. Yeah, and I think if you take the, those previous seasons as well, I think it's like 7 or 8 in 60. This is it's just not... <laughs> I mean, come on. Score, are we going to see him again? What makes Pardew a good manager? Look, he's got experience. You, you can't, whatever you do in life, the more experience you get, it obviously helps you. You cannot say the job that he inherited was it was an easy job to replace Tony Pulis and try and turn that that around and you know players that were Tony Pulis disciples basically. I think it was a very tough job. I think he needs to have a break. I don't think we'll see him back in the Premier League, but certainly in the Championship we'll see. Him. Would you want him back at your old club, Palace? The Ipswich jobs up. Would you want him at Ipswich? I would say Ipswich could do a lot worse. Really? Who'd be worse than Alan Pardew? I think you're being very harsh. No, no, no. I mean, I'm telling you. Did, did, uh, we, we've had this debate, us three. Was it two years ago when he was at Crystal Palace? And it ended up in... I actually defended it, and it ended up me getting a phone call from the owner at Crystal Palace. And, and what happened? Did the owners at end Crystal up sacking Pardew? Pardew? Exactly, <laughs> because he was dreadful there already. So you, you, think, you think Ipswich is more likely? No, I don't think so, but I think we'll, we'll see. Does he have again. any ties to Ipswich? No. But I think we'll see him in the championship I think he'd do well for, for a good team in the championship he's got bags of experience the the people that I know that have played under him say he's a fantastic coach and that's from some really good guys that I respect in the game but you reckon he needs a break now so yeah, probably yeah. not yeah. not straight back uh, look you, all these guys that are floating around the, the bottom half it's extremely tough you know Going into Southampton, turning that around at the moment is tough. West Ham's a tough job. Crystal Palace is a tough job. Stoke, you know, it's all these people well, do it, we, and they, they can't. They can't all be bad people. That no, get no, sacked. no. Well, I mean, look, I think more generally, right? We we say Crystal Palace is such a tough job, right? They had what I think, like guy who I think is totally overmatched, really bad manager, who lost a bunch of games. He left. They brought in a guy who's experienced and who. Not everybody's cup of tea, but generally a good person and a good manager. And hey, look, they're out of the relegation zone. I mean, if you take the if you, if you take the start of the season out of it, I suppose Palace would probably be close to mid table, right? For thirteen, yeah. So, well, so be. you know, so, so no, no. So this idea that it's so tough, it's so it's so impossible. I, Huddersfield, right? You have you have, a, you have a team that barely came up. You have a manager who's a bit curious. Um, they're staying up. I mean, they're not staying up, definitely, but right now they're not in the relegation zone. Is Newcastle, is Newcastle you know, a better right. squad than West Brom? I'm not so sure. Okay, but that's different. But there you have a very good manager. Yeah, but, yeah, but exactly. That's so, the difference But, but this makes. idea that it's yeah, so impossible, I don't... But that's, that's the, the difference he makes, having yeah, a good manager. Say, okay. I'm saying if it's Let's look at the Premier League. You've got the top five now that battle out 
for the league and, and the championship. Arsenal are, are going to be in six forever whilst, whilst they carry on. You're then going to get a Burnley who's going to have a super season, finish where they are. There's always one club. you probably get a club like Leicester that's well run. Well, The rest of it are, are, are fighting relegation. And it's all right to say, oh, yeah, but for the first seven games, if well, that would have happened... But, 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 but the point is, some teams are, are, are doing it while playing well and, sh- and showing a plan and, 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 and sticking to it. And I mean, look, if Brighton go down, which is possible, right, or Huddersfield go down, I don't think anybody's going to say, like, oh, look, what a rubbish job Chris Hewton and David Wagner did, right? Nobody's going to go and blame no, them. because it's their first year in the Premier League, so it's a bit of a give-me, isn't it? Anything, if you stay up, you've done a wonderful job. If next year someone takes them down, all of a sudden, oh, what a terrible job. All right, talk Champions League. Um, it's a quarterfinal stage. It's Liverpool and City, Barcelona and Roma, Sevilla and Bayern, and Juventus and Real Madrid. Let's do this in an inverse order. Barcelona and Roma, Julian, foregone conclusion? Or Barcelona a little too messy dependent right now? Oh, that photo uh, at the weekend on Saturday was amazing when he's, he was a sub, he's warming up on the touchline, Sevilla just scored the second, they're 2-0 up and they're celebrating in front of him and you could see him looking at them and thinking like, just wait, I come on. And then he came on, obviously. And they nearly scored a third yeah, to Sevilla, yeah. which, is, which is remarkable. Um, no, I would like Roma to... Um, I would like Roma to put up a fight and I think, you know, I'm hoping that Eusebio De Francesco will have a plan in place. I think they've been great in the Champions League this season. I do think that the fitness of some key players it might be an issue. I mean, we saw Nainggolan coming off at the weekend on Saturday. You know, they clearly had their mind on that Barca game already because that was not a very good performance from, from Roma, although there was a lot of changes. But yeah, it looks on paper that it's going to be tough, tough. When I made the point that Barcelona are maybe a little bit more messy dependent this year, um, I had a whole reaction. People were like, no, you don't understand Valverde. We're just more of a defensive team this year. We've got the best defense in the world and Umtiti and Pique and blah, blah, blah. Now, I saw them at the weekend. Umtiti and Pique were not good at all. Now, I know they've been good for most of the season, but it strikes me that when Busquets isn't there, mm-hmm. and I think he's a doubt for the Roma game, I mean, Rakitic can't, you can't expect him to do what Busquets does. I mean, no, there's probably nobody in the world. At the weekend. Either Paulinho at the weekend, either, and I think it was the same a bit for Spain without Busquets. People, yeah, they only scored six against Argentina. No, but, but you see what <laughs> I mean. People underestimate what a great job he does, not just on the ball because people, you know, see the passing range is incredible, and but just protecting that that back four and especially those two there in in Umtiti and and Piqué. And by the way, Umtiti was dreadful with France, so he's had three games in a row it's where it was really, a really, yeah, game. it's a tough time for him. Um, Sevilla and Bayern, uh, Scoville, you got to see Seville up close. Mourinho, of course, talked about how so many of these Seville players would get into the United team. Um, if they have all these players who are good enough to get into the United team and United are second in table in the Premier League, then it stands to reason that they have more than a fighting chance against Bayern, right? Um, no, I have to disagree with that. I think Bayern Munich will actually be adventurous and get into uh, Seville's half uh, and probably take the game to them. I think Seville at home, the atmosphere was was fantastic. The game I saw, um, certainly. If they... Bayern get a nil-nil draw in Seville, is that a great result? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, don't. I guess. So he can support Chelsea next year in, in Romania on a Thursday night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, nice one, nice one. I just think Bayern will be too strong the, for Seville. The thing about Bayern is my concern. I, I kind of got the sense that this is sort of. You know, a lot of fool's gold since January in the sense that they haven't played great, I thought, in in the Bundesliga. They had a number of close calls. Jupp Heynckes seems to be, he just keeps talking about retirement and blah, 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 and going on holiday. This continuous rotation of the team, uh, it seems to be designed to, like, keep everybody happy. And I thought, you know what, maybe when they play a real team, they'll run into trouble. And I thought, maybe it's going to be Borussia Dortmund. I thought so too. Yeah, and then what happened? <laughs> it's it's 23 minutes and 3-0 up. It's a practice game. They, like, they look like they were training. It's like, okay, yeah. The guy's like, 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 4v2, 5v2. Juventus and Real Madrid, this on paper should be close. It's a rematch of the final. But then you realize that Benassia and Pjanic are out, suspended for the first leg. You're making a face. Does yeah. this mean that it's kind of foregone conclusion? It's not. It's not. And again, I think Allegri, I think the battle between the two managers is going to be quite fascinating over the two legs. Um, it's, they both it's, have it's, so many tactical permutations and yeah. so many insecurities that they can do. Cause, true. 
Cause but, but it's a game that you want everybody to be fit. You want both teams to feel their strongest team. But the, the, the thing with Zidane is it's kind of difficult to see. Cause so with Zidane, for the longest time, it was 4-3-3, right? Yeah. And, and BBC. BBC. Yeah. The problem with that is if you do that, you've got Ronaldo and Bale out there and you know, you're going to have opposing fullbacks just blowing past them like yeah. they're not there. They've had more success when they've gone with a 4-2-4, 4 whatever you want to call it, playing the wingers. There's the Isco factor, who's, yeah. you know, who's arguably the most creative player in Spain. And could we imagine him dropping one of the central midfielders to try to maybe play play Ronaldo with Benzema up front and then you can get Bale and Asensio or, or Isco and Asensio or Isco and Bale? Or, I've got or, a feeling is that, that he's going to go back to the Isco factor of last year. That works so well drop for him Bale. in the Champions League. Drop Bale, have Isco in that free role and set to and, Isco. And keep the three central midfielders. Yeah, and then set to Isco. And then you've got Lucas Vasquez and Asensio on the bench that can come on like they did against PSG in the first leg, for example, and just turn the game. If, if it's not working with Isco... Can you imagine all the options he has, the guy? It's incredible. Okay, you play Isco first as a free number 10 behind Ronaldo and Benzema. Wow. That's not working? Okay, you've got Gareth Bale who can come on. Wow. That's not working? Yeah. You can have Asensio coming on? It's just Gareth incredible. Bale, by the way, he missed, he missed two months of the season. He's 14 goals this year. Um, you know, I, I think his production's picking up as well. Scoey, yeah, yeah. Liverpool and City. Giving you support, I'm assuming you might be figuring out for a way for them both to lose. That's not going to happen. But to a layman, you got two managers who press, who attack, high energy. Oh, look, this is going to finish 6-5. It really works out that way, though, does it? No, it doesn't, no, but I think it will be uh, a close tie. I don't think it's a great tie for Man City. I think about, oh, the, the, the quarterfinals, I, I, I don't think it's a great... I, ju- I just think being a... An English sign. Liverpool, they haven't got one up on Man City this year, but they're the team that have... Well, they beat Man City. Yeah, but... Okay, they beat Man City, but they're 50 points in front of them, aren't they? So it's, you know... But I think it's a very difficult game for Man City. And I think with Liverpool, Liverpool up their game in the Champions League. They've won it five times. I think out of all of those teams... The one team that can cause Man City the biggest problems are Liverpool. How do you do... Right, so here, here, to me... This boils down to one big existential question for Klopp. Do you change the way you play? Do you tweak it? And how do you tweak it? And I'm thinking primarily Trent Alexander-Arnold up against a pacey winger. That seems to be one obvious thing. Do you play Henderson and Sean together in midfield to maybe try to get a little more, more oomph in there? Or do you just say, you know what, let's just go toe-to-toe? Let them worry about us. Let's let's unleash Genie and Oxley Chamberlain and the front three. You know, because after all, you know we've got Salah and Mane Mane and Bobby Firmino. The, the, the one, the one but problem. But we saw yeah, the one. He just went over his head. Yeah, but, yeah. No, no, listen. The one problem that Liverpool have got is is the first game being at home. If they are a little bit too full on, a bit too expansive, try and they get picked off, the game could be over. Right, enough of that. How about some quick hits instead? Liverpool win at Crystal Palace and Mohamed Salah scores. Same old, same old. But, Scorey, I want to ask you about Benteke misfiring. On match of the day, they pointed out that he missed 22 big chances this season, which is Opta's way of uh, of counting opportunities that you really should bury. Now, you were a center forward once. Did you ever waste as many chances as this? And is, is Hodgson right not to be concerned or is it just something he has to say? I mean, how do you do? I know, I know you're going to say you got to regain your confidence, you got to keep trying, but is there anything? Well, it's, it's a problem for Crystal Palace because they've got the squad, they've got the fixtures to stay up and to not be into trouble, to get themselves out of trouble and not be in. But when your main centre forward is missing chances, he, he is at the moment, that is a huge concern. Now, Roy Hodgson can't come out and say it's a big problem, blah, 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 because the zero confidence that Benteke's got at the moment just diminishes. Do you think it's a confidence? Because yeah, people massive, always bring massive. this up, if, but if you look different at, people have different personalities. Yeah. Some guys just keep shooting. Mean, no. yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo had a big drought, for example, right? Yeah. I don't think nobody questions his confidence, right? No. Just just keep shooting. Yeah. Do we know that Benteke is like that? Yeah, definitely. And I think if you look at Benteke's in the Premier League at Aston Villa and Liverpool, his record is good. You know, he's always been a good goal scorer. I don't think Crystal Palace play to Benteke's strengths. I don't think they get the ball in the box enough um, in the air. I don't think they've um, 
the service he gets is as good as what it should be. But it's a problem, and it's it's a problem that they need to solve uh, quickly, Crystal Palace, because it could hinder them, I think. Arsenal roll over Stoke 3-0 with the help of the controversial penalty. But, Julian, I want to ask you about Aubameyang giving up his chance at a hat-trick by letting Alexander Lacazette take a penalty. Tony Cascarino suggests it might indicate a lack of ruthlessness by Aubameyang. He's your rival. You must crush him. What say you? Really? <laughs> no, really? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with Aubameyang giving the pen to his mate Lacazette who hasn't played for a long time? He's a bit down in confidence because, you know, he saw his mate coming in and taking his place. What's wrong with that? Why are they mates? They've never played together. They, when, when Aubameyang was at Saint-Etienne and Lacazette at Lyon, they, they were friends from there. How are they friends? Lyon and Saint-Etienne are supposed to, supposed to be the big, the big derby rivalry. Each, they, have, they live next to each other. You this can is still my problem be, with French football. You can still be... What do you mean French football? Surely you could have Laziale and Roma players being friends. Like you can have City and United players. Do you think Manchester Peter Reid and McMahon were friends? I know many City players friends with United players. That's for sure. Yeah, Come on. Foreigners. So please, let's stop the cynical aspect <laughs> of, oh, Bamiyong should have taken a trick. I think it was a great gesture from him. To do that, to I, like I, I agree with you actually. Manchester United cruise to a 2 0 win over Swansea and Romelu Lukaku gets his 100th goal. Paul Pogba, funny enough, played well too, continuing from his fine performance during the international break. Scoey, we've turned a corner here. Mourinho was right all along. There's no issue there. Remember, Pogba even came over to high five Mourinho. It's just fake news by the MSM. Once again, right? I think coming over to high five your manager just proves there's a problem <laughs> between the two of them. There's no problem. You really believe that? No, I, I think Mourinho digs his players out. I think he gets on their backs. Some will say that's that's management ship. I, I, Pogba, I've seen Pogba play be unplayable and I've seen Pogba be awful. I think he needs consistency in the game. I think he needs to settle down. Next season's a big season for him. No, they haven't turned a corner. It's been good two games in a row. Give him time. Speaking of United, after the game, Mourinho called in uh, Carlos Carvajal, the Swansea manager, and said he deserves to be manager of the year. Julian, is he just being mischievous? I mean, we, we all agree Carvajal's done a great job. They were in the relegation zone. Now they're not. But you know what? That applies to other people, like, say, Roy Hodgson as well. Is he just being mischievous and either trolling the gravelly-voiced ginger one or the, <laughs> yeah, bald, the bald guy uh, down the road? Uh, yellow ribbon one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a bit of that. It was funny in many ways. It was very much uh, Jose's you know, own show and, and all of that. But I think the best bit was when Carlos Carvajal came onto the stage with a press conference and, and tapped Mourinho on the shoulder and said, my assistant, which I thought was really funny. Who would be more fun on a night out? Oh, Carlos. Sure. Carlos, yeah, Carvajal yeah, just Carlos really Who'd really you good. rather hang out with? Carvajal or Mourinho? Uh, I wouldn't mind having an evening with Mourinho. Depends on the objective of your night out. Bournemouth grab a late, late equaliser at Watford, thanks to... Who else? Jermaine Defoe. He scores the big goals. That's why they paid the big money for him. His big contract. Apparently Defoe then suggested, and I don't know if he was joking or not, uh, that he could come on and score a World Cup winner for England. Scott, do you want to offer a reality check here? Well, he's not going to be in the England squad, is he? So that's reality. It won't be happening. Uh, could he come What's on more as- realistic? What's more likely to happen? Defoe in the England squad? England winning the World Cup? Or Defoe scoring during the World Cup? Well, Defoe's not going to be in the squad, so that's two of the questions gone. England winning the World Cup? I don't think they will do, but I think they'll go further than people think. Is that more likely the best, than... The best line was he said, you know, I would come on and win the World Cup. And then he went, it's as simple as that. No, Jermaine, I it's not that. simple at no, all. No, but he's, he's, obviously, he's obviously joking, right? He's not. If you know Jermaine before, he was not joking. No, he I believe he can still do a job at that level. Now, there's plenty of fretting over West Ham and the supporters and the unholy trinity and the visit of Southampton potentially could have been really, really nasty for them. But it turned into a great performance at a fun and easy win with Mark Ornautovic stealing the show. Uh, Jean Mario even playing very, very well. Arnautovic having a go at Sparky, who he evidently doesn't really like. Julian, see, they're going to be just fine. You told me, you told me. Um, and yeah, it was. I mean, it must be hard to be a West Ham fan because you just don't know what's going to happen with your team, you know. And I loved Moise's reaction yeah. like, on, on the touchline. Good for him. And man. you see, you bench Patrice Severa and suddenly your team is playing quite well. So 
Arnautovic as a centre forward in those kind of games I think is brilliant it doesn't work in every game but in certain games I think he'd be brilliant he's the poor man zebra Gab one for you so many big games around Europe and around the world this weekend sum them up for us in 30 seconds if you can Yes, as we mentioned, Bayern going absolutely pound all stuffing out of Borussia Dortmund. So much for Der Klassiker. They have a million point lead over Schalke. Uh, Juventus back against the wall at home against AC Milan. It was 1-1. It looked like we'd have the, the title race was reopening. Didn't happen. Juve did what Juve do. They rolled to a 3-1 win. Barcelona away to Seville, 2-0 down. Hey, no problem. Messi comes on and uh, he turns the game, ends up 2-2. In France, Paris Saint-Germain against Monaco in the prestigious French League Cup. Yes, there is such a thing. Uh, they win 2-0. And Slatan Ibrahimovic. How about that? You can read. There's an excellent column uh, about him in the game today. Maybe how he can have a bigger impact on MLS than one David Joseph Beckham. 20 minutes ago, it's the LA Derby, which they call El Trafico against the newly formed LAFC. Comes on, scores with his first touch from a million miles out. When we were talking before, Scoey said he also scored a similar goal years ago in a preseason game. Um, and then, of course, he scores a winner in injury time uh, on a cross, which might have been offside, by Ashley Cole. No, Ashley Cole hasn't retired. He's still playing professional football. In fact, I think he captains the, uh, the LA Galaxy. So, quite a Saturday for us. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests, James Scowcroft and Julian Lawrence. Remember, just eight pounds gets you an eight-week trial of our newspaper, The Times. And you also get that other newspaper, The Sunday Times. Just search The Times online. In addition to our content, you also get highlights of every single game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the FA Cup. It's a pretty sweet deal, methinks. We're going to be back next Monday after what could be the title decider, but some of us hope won't be, it's the Manchester Derby. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.